it's the weekend before, well, the first week in November, so there's really nothing happening. I hope you have a good afternoon. <laughs> Next on Principles and Policies. Welcome to today's edition of Principles and Policies. I'm your host, Barry Sheets, the Executive Director of the Institute for Principled Policy. And along with me today is our co-host, the Vice Chairman of the Institute, my fellow analyst and very good friend, Chuck Michaelis. You know, normally we would say by the time we do the next recording, the election will be over. <laughs> However, this year... That's not probably that's not going to be the case. Not necessarily <laughs> the case. There's all kinds of shenanigans going on having to do with how many days past the deadline you can actually cast a ballot. and well, Shenanigans? Uh, what shenanigans yeah. are you talking about? If, now, you pick up any major news outlet in the country. New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, CNBC, Joe Scarborough, Rachel Maddow, whoever you want to listen to. There's nothing going on, Chuck. It's an absolutely just regular fall yeah. week. Nothing major has occurred. No, no revelations have come forth. At least nothing credible, of course, because... It's a conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about when a conspiracy theory stops being a theory and starts being a conspiracy. (laughs) conspiracy, that's right. (laughs) When you can name names. Yeah. That's that's what it stops being. When you can point to specific individuals and events that are part of the historical record, suddenly it stops being a theory and begins being a conspiracy. Okay, Chuck, I've always said this, and I know you say it too, that if you ever want to find out what's really going on in politics, you have to do one thing and one thing only. And it's not listen to the major media. No. It's a thing. It's three words. Follow the money. Yep. There's also two other words that are the bane to any kind of a corrupt activity. It's called paper trail. You see, because if you leave a paper trail, then people can follow the money. Because that's usually what the paper trail is all about, is the money. Who gets it? Who's who's giving it or getting it taken from? How it gets divvied up? How and why you might use it? Now, funny little thing, obviously, with this week before the first week in November where nothing's actually happening. Just, you know, go about your regular business. Don't worry about it. Don't do anything. According to the media, unless you happen to be like a hardcore liberal, then you should get out and vote, right? That's kind of what the mainstream media is yeah, say, telling you. Conservatives stay home. Well, well uh, and, and honestly, Chuck, vote. I'm going to give you a for instance. I do believe that the vast majority of conservatives will be staying home on Election Day. Because they already voted. Because they've already <laughs> voted during early, in the states that have been open for early voting, and that includes Ohio here, because we have 30 days prior to the election. Okay, so... 31 days prior to the election, you can still register to vote in that election, right? Right. At 30 days prior to that election, the registration period ends and the early voting period begins. And that's where, folks, you can go. There's two or three ways to do that, okay? The first and foremost and the most easy way, and if you're listening to this on Saturday, in many of the major metropolitan counties, you can still go do this today, okay? You can still get out there. You drive to your county board of elections, or in Franklin County, I know they call it the Early Voting Center because they've got a special location for it. So not everybody can go down right downtown to the board, county board of elections. You go to your Early Voting Center or to your county board of elections office, and you walk in. You go through all the hoops and uh, you know the, the metal detectors and all that fun stuff. I trust me, I did this, so that's the reason why I'm saying this. I don't know if the Early Voting Centers have metal detectors up or not, but they might. But you go in and you check in, you show them your ID, you sign on a machine reader right. 
for your signature so they can match your signatures, which I guess in some states don't even matter anymore because of court rulings. That's got to be changed. So note for later to talk about that, not maybe today, but maybe in another program we'll talk about how bad that idea is. It's almost the same as the idea right. of Walmart not requiring a signature when you use a credit card anymore at Walmart. I'm a little leery when I, somebody... I don't, a, I don't like that. No, me either. <laughs> I don't like... Because a signature helps to verify who you are. Yeah, that's when the credit card company says, well, your card got used. Okay, but I didn't have it. I didn't have it. It got stolen. Oh, well, we can't verify that now because they, there's, there's no, no signature, signature on the card. Yeah. And it's your word against the company's. And, of course, in the company's best interest is just to keep charging you for it. So that's part of the reason why signatures are important. And they're especially important when you're going to the ballot. Because you have an official signature that you put on your registration card, which is in the books or on the tablets or whatever they're using. Your signature, when you go to ask for a ballot, should match the signature that's on file as closely as possible. Now, over time, people's signatures yeah. change a little bit. Maybe you get older, your hands get weaker, you don't sign well, it just as strongly as you used to. But the point is, is that if I sign with a right-hand slant and I'm heavy on my last letters, and then all of a sudden they get somebody who signs with a left-hand slant, my name, but it's very heavy on the first letters and not on the last letters, maybe you should think about that. But... Yeah, but we've had some rulings from some courts that basically said, "Now this isn't in Ohio. I think it was what in Pennsylvania, maybe Pennsylvania. Michigan. It was Pennsylvania for sure." There's another one uh, in Minnesota or Wisconsin. I think it's Wisconsin. I can't remember. Okay, maybe we'll we'll double check that. But they're one, basically saying that the signatures on the registration and the signature of the person requesting the live ballot. Yeah. Don't have to match. Don't have to match. Of course. Now, Barry. I guess we are going to talk about it right now. Yeah. uh, Think about this. Now, I go in and I'll sign. When I signed my registration form, I use my middle initial. Sure. Usually when I sign in, I don't. You don't. They look at the rest of my signature, and my signature is real easy to pick out. Right. And it's fairly consistent. It's consistent. Yeah. you You can pick it right out. Again, if somebody comes in and does something vastly different and wants to vote as me one of my greatest fears is to go in to vote live in person you've already voted by absentee yeah uh no i did not well yeah and that has happened to people that that has happened to people and that's that's one so we're talking about the ways to go in so first way was that live going in but also you double check to make sure that they're reading your signature correctly okay and i'll give you an example chuck here's how it could happen you know, if you take a case like what happened in Pennsylvania, let's say Xavier Cugat is a registered voter. <laughs> I'm and, sure he was 50 years and, ago. And he was probably 50 years ago. I don't know if he ever declared a, a if nationality, he ever got, yeah, if he if he ever, ever got naturalized citizenship. citizenship. Yeah. But let's say Xavier Cugat, who was a Latin band leader, let's say he decided to go vote. But he filled out a registration <laughs> form, and of course his name is Xavier, X-A-V-I-E-R, Okay don't matter what his last how he spells his last name well let's say that the person comes to the ballot place that he's supposed to go to and says i would like a ballot and they hand him the sign and they sign it z-a-v-i-e-r yeah well in pennsylvania you can't challenge that <laughs> even though you would think that the actual person would know that the Xavier of Xavier Cugat is actually spelled with an X instead yeah. of Z. That would, if you're a normal ballot worker and you see that, it would ring alarm bells. But I guess now because of the courts, 
you have to ignore those alarm bells. And it'd be double. Because uh, it might be disenfranchising a voter to question that they can't spell their own name. And it'd be double exposing because, first of all, that name in in a Spanish-speaking country would be Javier. Well, yes, it would be uh, Javier. Only in English-speaking countries is X-A-V-I-E-R Xavier. Xavier, it, that's it's right. Javier. Javier, that's um, right. Which and, means that they could come in and write an H. An H. An, an H. <laughs> yeah. How do you spell H? <laughs> <laughs> It's with an X. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. In any case, you're right. Now, for all we know, Xavier Cugat may vote in this election, even though he's been dead for mm, quite some time. Forty-some years. That's the, he uh, may have voted more than once. That's the meme. Under, under the Z, the under, X, and the H. And the H, yeah. <laughs> There's a meme going around that shows a woman in tears. Oh, I've just discovered that my father, who was a lifelong Republican, is going to vote Democrat in this election. You know, she's crying, and, and she's doing all weep, wiping away the tears. And underneath it says... It's the first time in his life he's ever voted Democrat and said he would have never done that when he was alive. alive. Yeah. Right. He'd, have never, he'd have never dreamed of doing that while he was alive. So every election cycle, there's election fraud. Let's not kid ourselves. The left tries to make it a non-problem. Well, you remember four years ago, you had election fraud, and there was at least a one case in Ohio where a woman in the Cincinnati area was convicted of election fraud, yeah. of, of trying to, as we say, vote early and vote often. Yeah, I was trying to do the Chicago thing. But the fact is that voter fraud has been rampant in Minnesota. What's his name up Keith, there? Keith Ellison. And, oh, well, no, Al, Al Franken. Franken. Al Franken won that seat by fraud. Mm-hmm. The election was over, and essentially the Republican was ahead. And all of a sudden we find in the trunk of cars ballots it wasn't just ballots they found like ballot boxes ballot boxes in the in the boots of cars right in the trunks yeah and what do you know overwhelmingly they're broke for al franken there they went for reason. al franken this is like landslide linden in uh, in texas and he was called that because he won his first election to the senate i think by about 40 votes yeah and where those votes came from was a was very strangely a town in texas where all the people there who voted Voted in alphabetical order, and they all voted for Lyndon. That's wonderful. I am so glad that they, we have such an orderly place in our That's country. That's right. They all signed in alphabetically. Signed and in completely alphabetically, one right after the other, and all voted for, for John. So he, he was known as Landslide Lyndon basically for his whole career after that. You may not have heard it because the news media, again, being complicit. There's a proverb that basically says the first man who comes along and tells his story seems right until another comes along. And testifies against him. That's right. Yeah, which is the basically the old adage about there's two sides to every coin. Right. That's why there was a hearing. Now, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, the 29th of October, 2020. And yesterday, there was a set of hearings mm-hmm. in, uh, in the Senate to uh, talk to the big tech giants. And uh, that's Google, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitter. Uh, YouTube. I'm not sure if YouTube was in on that or not. I don't think not. YouTube was in on that, but uh, They should have been. Uh, because they're censoring too, but the fact is that uh, uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, those groups are are public forums. Now, what does that mean? That means there's a set of rules that that they essentially, unless someone is on their their site telling you how to how to make a bomb and then how to set it off and uh, use it to blow up a federal building. And, and giving or, you the name and addresses of specific targets yes, at the same time, yes. Th- they, can, they can't censor that uh, because they're under an exemption called the 230 rule, Section 230 of the uh, Communications Act. Yes. Well, what they're doing is actually acting 
under another section of the act that is specifically for publishers. Publishers. And, and what does that mean? Well, publishers are allowed to publish opinion, which means they're also allowed to censor views. Right. So we can scream and yell all we want about ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, well, uh, just, WAPO. Just ask, just ask anybody who's ever like submitted a manuscript for publication to write a book. Right. Publishers don't have to write, have to have to publish your book because they can take a number of things into consideration, including the content of the book and whether or not it's it's worthwhile, and they can send you a rejection letter. They're not required to publish you. That's right. But if you were to take that same book, that same manuscript, that serialize same screed, it. serialize it and post it on Facebook or tweet it out, and, and unless of course it met certain criteria right. that it wasn't child, you know, it wasn't like child pornography or patently offensive or whatever yeah. else. Now, the problem with the Communications Act is when they did this, part of the Communication Decency Act, is there was a provision in there, and this is part of that 230 rule, that basically said that a public forum, unless it was, you know, prurient interest, so basically it's the same standard as is found in the pornography rules, the federal, you know, the federal listing of, of rules about appealing to the prurient interest, blah, 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 blah. That make it illegal. They put in they put in this phrase in the amendments to this, or otherwise objectionable. That's the hook that the tech giants are using to right. be able to say they're a public forum, but still censor, uh, especially conservatives. But you know, it's any it's anything they don't agree with. So if you question vaccine efficacy, you can get taken down off off their site. If you post something positive about, say, oh, I don't know, maybe Donald Trump, you can be taken. If you are Donald Trump's campaign, your Twitter account can be locked the week before the election to keep you from being able to reach out to the, I don't know how many tens of millions are on Donald Trump's Twitter account, but even so. If you're the White House press secretary, you can right. have your account locked because... Because because you're the White House press secretary. Well, yes. basically because you you have uh, tweeted verified information regarding uh corruption corruption in, in, in the other camp yeah. in the other in the other campaign um and uh, um that see uh, and that's where we're going right now uh, right now the meme is is that uh the story about Hunter Biden and and Joe Biden's involvement and taking some of the money that's changed hands and that kind of thing has been debunked and I laughed and I said well where can I go to read this debunking and the answer is you can't because nobody's been able to do it. You just basically come out and proclaim it a lie and then repeat the lie, that particular lie over and over and over again. It's a, uh, um, you know, it, it's a, uh, uh, well, Dr. Goebbels and the big lie. You tell the big lie and then you tell it and tell it and tell it and tell it until people accept it. Um, it's sort of like why we're still wearing masks. Uh, because the, the big lie that... Uh, you're protecting others. No, I'm not protecting anybody because I don't have the virus. Therefore, I protect no one. Well, and and the you know the, the thing is is that you, you you don't need to protect yourself. So, well, I, at least in my case, yeah. I I had it. Okay, folks, I had it already. You know, I don't have any problem with this. This whole virus thing just drives me nuts, Chuck. I mean. I, I'm almost the point of I don't even want to talk about it anymore, except for the fact that we're recording this on Thursday, and I'm still mm -hmm. waiting to find out from what uh, 
what information because it's uh, right now it's a little after three o'clock, which means that Governor DeWine did his normal Thursday afternoon press conference around two two thirty. So I'm waiting to hear and find out whether or not he's announced that. Oh, you know, because he's been hinting at this for for a handful of weeks now. Oh, we got a number of cases, 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 Chuck, cases. I think he was even on Neil Cavuto on Fox News here this week. Cases, cases, cases rising, cases. cases, cases, cases. He's getting ready to do another shutdown. Oh okay. yeah, they're they're they're, they're, they're uh, softening us. They're, up they're for planning this now. My guess is that shutdown's going to come the day before the election. Okay, on Monday, it's yeah. going to come on Monday afternoon, folks. This is the spring all over again. I am going to strongly encourage you to get to the Board of Elections or to the early voting centers. Get your vote in. Now, I believe you can do that. I think they're open through Monday. I, th- I think you can go to the Board of Elections through the day before the election. There is a cutoff. Uh, yeah. so, ch- so check with your county board to figure out what the cutoff is. If you haven't, if you're not doing that, and you can't make it to the polls on Tuesday for some reason, or you don't think you're going to be able to, I hope that you've already requested, received, and completed your absentee ballot and get it back in the mail. Because unlike certain states where they're basically telling them they can take the absentee ballots and you know process them even if they show up, you know, dated two or three days after the election, it's not going to happen here. But I I have a strong concern that our current office holder and governor very well could be. And maybe he already has by the time that this airs, Chuck. This is Thursday. Like I said, I haven't seen it yet, but it could come over the weekend. We may be facing a situation where we get another shutdown, and they basically say, well, because of COVID we're cases rising, the- you can't have people coming to the polls again. Well, here's what, we're gonna, what we should be doing to preempt that. Mm-hmm. We should be calling our, our representatives and our senators and saying, do not let him do this again. It's too coincidental that all of a sudden... Chuck, they have no power to stop it, okay? No, let me just be frank. And I don't mean that they don't actually have the constitutional authority to do it. They don't have the the intestinal fortitude to do it. Yeah, they have the power, but not the will. Right, because they have two or three who can game play and keep them from getting a veto-proof majority. I just had this conversation on the phone coming here to, to record with you. I just had these exact same conversation with one of my clients because they were asking well why can't why why can't we get something done here's the deal in order to override a veto from the governor on a piece of legislation whatever it might be it takes 60 votes in the house yeah and it takes 20 in the senate now in this current environment it's really not that big of an issue to get 20 votes in the senate we have 24 Republicans to nine Democrats right now in the Senate. So you've got a little bit of leeway, even if you have liberals like Stephanie Coonsy and Matt Dolan who don't want to vote Republican anymore. They, they tend to want to turn and vote Democrat. And you got a couple others who are on their way out the door who might be willing to do that too. But even if all of them defect, they still have, they, they can still reach a veto proof majority. Now, the big problem usually is Chuck is that a lot of the bills that have been to limit the power of the governor in the um, emergency or rewrite uh, 3701.13 of the revised code, which is where he gets all right. his health authority, health powers to shut everything down. They've tried, they've tried passing these bills before. Okay. But the problem is with the house, they'll pass a bill 
and they'll get 58 votes or 59. Why? Well, they have 63 people in the Republican caucus. Problem is, on any day, one or two of them may be out. They may be traveling. Right. They may be sick. Whatever. We've had a couple. We've had a couple of COVID cases, but we've also had a speaker change in the House with the former speaker still in the legislature, but no longer speaker. So they may or may not be there for that day. You have had, but you've also had, and on every it seems like on almost every vote we've had in relation to restricting the power of the governor. We have at least two of those Republicans who always vote against supporting the bill. A guy by the name of Dave Greenspan out of Cleveland and a woman by the name of Gail Manning out of Lorain County. Who, for some odd reason, Chuck, seem to want to curry favor with Governor DeWine. Could it be that they're at the end, that they're coming up at least I know for Greenspan, he's got, I think, one more term left, which coincides with the last two years of DeWine's administration. And if DeWine runs again, well, Greenspan could find himself lined up for an administration job. So could Manning for that case. But you what you have is because of that speaker issue I talked to you about, you don't have a part you don't have a party discipline or a caucus discipline to have this new speaker who wants to continue to be speaker in the next year, so he's not going to probably antagonize any current members like Greenspan and Gail Manning. He's going to basically let them slide, and then the House delivers a bill that has sufficient majority for passage, but doesn't have a sufficient majority for veto override. So what does the Senate do? They can't do any. What's the use of passing the bill? They won't touch it. There's no sense of moving the bill. It's a waste of their time. If the House couldn't send them a bill that delivers... now, And then they send a bill to the House that has the constitutional veto-proof majority. And because of the whole mess with the Speaker issue, well, a lot of those bills were just not moving. Okay, folks. This illustrates the importance of finding out what your candidates are about. What before, if you haven't voted yet, go vet your candidates. Yes. Don't vote for them because they have an R or a D next to their name. Yep, that's right. Because, as Barry just explained, R next to your name does not mean you're in the right. Or you're conservative or that you will actually stand up. Because oftentimes, folks, it's party over principle. And it's personal gain with party over principle most of the time. You've got, you know, you've got a uh, you got a leader in the Senate who's on their way out the door at the end of this year, who everybody and their brother understands is looking to get an appointment to a judgeship. Who makes those appointments? Yeah, Mike DeWine. You've got House members, some of who are going out the door, some of who are maybe be there for a couple more years, while DeWine's still in office, who could basically get appointed out of their seat next cycle sometime in the middle of those two years to an administration job where they triple their salary and then sit there and pad their retirement system fund because let's not kid ourselves if you're not appointed to like a high level like you're not a cabinet head let's say you get appointed to assistant director of medicaid or whatever it might be yeah you might be there through the next administration at least a few, uh, at least maybe six months to a year, because it usually takes out because they're worried, especially if you switch administrations, 
And if Mike DeWine decides not to run again, then everybody assumes that John Houston, his lieutenant governor, is going to try to run. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's going to be an awful lot of mix around with that. But most of the time, other than changing the titular heads of the agencies, which is the cabinet, they don't change down into the agencies very much. And so a lot of these former legislators who get appointed to these cushy jobs usually stay there for a while. Um, I, I can I can name you a couple three already uh, over in the education field. You got John Kerry and Bruce Johnson who've been there through a couple of administrations yeah. now. Yep, they got appointed early on in Kasich's administration, and well, Dewine really hasn't changed much. Well, how much different is is Dewine from Kasich? It's it's a matter of let's face it. It's not a matter of degrees. It's no, a, it's a matter of millimeters. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, the it's the, the difference, uh, uh, well, as uh, some people used to say, there's not a dime's worth of difference between the Kasich and the DeWine administration. Dime's not worth much anymore. No. Uh, that, that's that's an old political saying. But yes, the fact is. is, vet your candidates. Vet them. Right, absolutely. Look, there are, there are people running in my district here. Yeah. I'm in, uh, I can't remember the number, but... Uh, 74. No, no, no. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll look it up. Well, I'm thinking of my of the uh, Congress congressional oh. race here. Oh, that's the twelfth. Yeah, I'm twelfth, which is Troy Balderson versus Elena Shearer. Yep. Well, Troy Balderson is an empty suit as a Republican. He's a do nothing backbencher, uh, basically not particularly bright and not particularly willing to step up and do anything that requires any guts or uh, thought. Uh, in the meantime, his opponent is a full-blown Marxist. Okay, which one do I vote for? Well, guess what? I'll take the empty suit over the Marxist any day. Oh, absolutely. Because one thing you won't you won't get the empty suit to do, uh, he's not that empty yet, is to come out and vote for something really stupid. El- Elena Shear, oh yeah, she'd vote for the stupidest thing you could think of. Um, oh, I'm sure. You know, some of these single-party pay for health care and that kind of stuff. She'd be, right. In fact, that's what she's campaigning on. Oh, as being part of the uh, AOC crowd? Yeah, she wants, to be, she wants to join the squad. Lovely. So, Hey, well, we got breaking news right now. It won't be breaking by the time everybody hears this, but it's breaking for us. Uh, just this afternoon, Chuck, I, you know, this just came across my ticker, and I was waiting on something about from the governor about whether or not we're going to have shutdowns here looming. This is something, since we're already talking about the mess in the legislature and how not being able to be able to override that governor and veto him, you know, override his veto and get some relief to the folks and keep these shutdowns from happening. Well, here's part of the reason why. As we talked about before, you had this situation around uh, a piece of legislation uh, for the energy companies that obviously Larry Householder, the former speaker, and a number of his associates had had gamed to their own personal advantage. Well, today, U.S. District Court Judge Timothy Black uh, accepted guilty pleas from two individuals facing federal racketeering charges Uh in this case. It seems that... um, of course, these people, this is a plea change agreement because they had originally entered not guilty pleas yeah, into the court, 
Now they're entering the plea chains that they're guilty of federal racketeering. Now, that, that's not a minor charge. No, it's not. That's a huge charge. Uh, but the two who were involved in it are former lobbyists, a guy by the name of Juan Cespedes, and he was actually the big broker between the energy company and what we call team householder. Um, and, you know, he was he was very much involved in it. But the other guy who got it was... Jeff Longstreth, who, oh, was, Jeff Larry, Longstreth. who was Larry's bagman, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was he he was the guy who was controlling all of this the special hidden accounts and funneling the money back and forth and using it to not only get Larry elected speaker, but to enrich themselves. As I remember from one of the reports that you know, right before they busted them, part of the thing was he had taken and, and transferred a million dollars over into his own personal brokerage accounts. Yeah, which is what got him busted. Which is what got, which is one of the things that got him busted. Yeah, that was that was one of the triggers. So basically, uh, the uh, they had a hearing this afternoon, and the two basically dropped their claims of not guilty and agreed to accept a future sentence that could net up to. 20 years in prison and fines of up to $250,000 along with potential restitution. Here's why it won't. It won't. Yeah, of course. Here's not. why it won't. Go right ahead. They they turn states evidence. Yeah, it's exactly what they're doing. They're rolling over because the thing is the other two who were around this little uh universe of team householder are two of the bigger names in politics. Uh lobbyist Neil Clark, who I almost affectionately called the Prince of Darkness, <laughs> and Matt Borges, who was uh, John Kasich's bag man at the Ohio Republican Party, who headed yep. up the Ohio Republican Party when Kasich was in governor. Yep. And who was then summarily uh, you know, shifted out the door, but it come to find out that he was basically playing all different sides, and he was part... And really, Chuck, the reason why this whole thing fell apart was because Borges reached out to an old buddy of his and basically tried to get him involved in the graft, and this guy had a conscience, and he went and reported it. That's how they got onto the whole thing. Uh, so Borges was basically what they call the leaky uh, faucet that led them to figure out what was, pro- what was going on with this thing and who were the plumbers. Now, we've got two guilty pleas to federal racketeering charges. You're right. Very little. I mean, they'll probably serve some time, both of them, because they are they are the lower fish in the in the barrel. But the bigger fish in the barrel, Clark Borges, and of course Householder himself, will probably depend on how much Longstreth and Cespedes try to roll on them in order to try to limit their own sentences. It should be very interesting to see how this all f- fleshes out, and whether or not. Clark, who basically is now talking about writing a book about his experiences. Oh, come on! But you know, if he gets convicted, Chuck, he can write the book all day long, but he can't get he can't uh, benefit from the proceeds. Uh, that's part of uh, federal law: is you cannot benefit from the proceeds of uh, you know writing about your own criminal activity. I guess. Uh, look, uh, it, it became. I'm sure this is, has become a race about who turns on who first. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, you know, you know, the prosecutors come in and said, here's what here's what we got. Your attorney's in tow. Here's what we got. You can either try to gut it out and if you really think a jury's going to find you not guilty based on what we have, 
you can talk to your attorney. He'll tell you that. He'll, he'll tell you, you better cut a plea deal right now. You better now. cut a deal. Right now. And uh, it, whoever, true. the first piggy to the trough is the first one that gets the deal. Now, Chuck, this is a very interesting scenario because you can see here at the state level, you had people, Larry Householder and the people around him, who basically thought that they were above the law, that they, because they had power, they felt like they could do whatever they felt like, including cutting deals to get rake in lots and lots of money with outside entities who have certain special interests, i.e. this time it was the uh, need to have a piece of legislation passed in order to protect their industry. And they were willing to pay handsomely for that because to them it was over a billion dollars in revenue. How much is a billion dollars worth to you, Chuck? Would you be willing to spend a hundred million to get a billion? Well, that's a a a, uh, um, a ten to one. Yeah, it's ten percent. It's a, it's a ten you, to one. Would you return. be willing to give up ten percent to get the ninety percent? You bet. Anybody would. If you if I, if I came to you now and said if you'll give me a ten dollar bill, I'll hand you a hundred dollar bill. You'd take that offer, wouldn't you? You bet I would. You couldn't get that ten dollar bill out of your wallet fast enough. That's exactly what the, the, the energy companies got, where if you want us to pass this bill, you have to start funneling money. They funneled, they funneled money. I think it was like $60 million is what it all came down to. Yeah. A lot of that was used by the householder cabal in order to buttress getting people in office like your rep, Mark Frazier over Mark here. Mark Frazier, yeah. And and many others, and then of course those who in this last election who team householder backed and sent money to in order to help them to win their races, so that when they came in in January of 2019, they all voted for Larry Householder to be speaker. Which that was part of the deal. We got to have Larry be speaker in order to get the bill passed. So of course there are a number of these legislators who will go back and look at their campaign finance and oh boy this energy company was getting their subsidiaries and their little holding companies were giving them money yeah what a shock what a shock you know and okay and let me just be the first to say this chuck or maybe the last to say this there's absolutely nothing wrong with that okay there's absolutely nothing wrong as long as they stay within the campaign finance rules and it's reported clearly for a an entity a business like your business to write a check to a politician to get them into office. If you believe that they're going to be beneficial to your business, if you believe that they hold the same values and ethics that you do, if you believe, oh God, even if you just believe, I just got to keep enough of one party in there in order to be able to be to, to not have my industry or my business be effective negatively. Because let's not kid ourselves, Chuck. We all know that if a certain party gets in regulatory issues go through the roof and if a certain other party gets in they may not get any better but they oftentimes don't get any worse and so businesses will make those kind of it's a it's, in, uh, let's they'll make those kind of bets again exactly it's and, an, and they'll hedge themselves it's a speculative investment and the bigger you are the more you hedge that bet i mean you look everybody knows uh, you take um limited brands less wexner he and his wife, Abigail, give tons of money to politicians, to both parties. He gives to one party, she gives to the other. 
and then like and depending on which party seems to be more in power at the time is where he gives to and she gives to the other party and then if it if it reverses on him then he starts giving to the other party and she gives to the party that's now not not controlling things and you can look go back in the campaign finance records and you can see this i right. mean it's just not, it's it's almost hilarious but you've got these situations where people who have interests and who want to get something done oftentimes will roll money at it, yeah. you know, and because that's just the way they think that business ought to run. That's what they consider normal. Now, Chuck, I believe that this is an instructive thing that this kind of came down today that we have federal racketeering guilty pleas on some of these people who are involved in this normal business. Because we may be seeing this play out at the national level we, very, very soon. Very soon. Yeah. Because right now we have an, an official who had a network around him, and that network was working with certain entities and businesses, and they were receiving money from these entities and businesses that, as we're starting to see, were likely being laundered over to that official who had a significant amount of influence, control, and authority to make decisions that would have positive impacts upon those business interests who were giving the money. I'm talking about Joe Biden when he was vice president with Barack Obama, whose brother, his son, and his son's two or three business associates all were working together and reaching out not only to Burisma in the Ukraine, but to a Chinese energy company that was basically run by the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. And was a front operation. Look. Who handed a $5 million, quote-unquote, loan to not just Hunter Biden, but from what the documents are starting to show, the Biden family. Why would a Chinese Communist government-run a company hand the Biden family a $5 million quote-unquote loan while Joe Biden is vice president of the United States, Chuck. The only reason you give the vice president of the United States $5 million... Oh, but you didn't give it to him. You no, gave no, it no. to somebody else. His family. Because Joe claims, and he keeps claiming, I have never taken foreign money. Listen, if you yeah, go know, back to the debate... His claim was very specific. And you know what? As soon as I heard it, I'm like, by golly, he's lying by omission. That's right. It's because a he's, he's true that he, he didn't personally take any foreign money because it got laundered through his son, his brother, right. and all the business partners and two or three of their holding companies. Well, and then he got it. That's why one of these emails that uh, Hunter had sent to his sister Unlike Dad, I will not require you to turn in half your income. Exactly. And see, that's where people are start, are missing this a little bit. I mean, you and I both listen to a number of the same uh, yeah. conservative commentators, and they keep talking about 10% that Joe kept getting. And it's like, no, no, no. If you look at that document, it wasn't that Hunter Biden was getting 20% of something. He was getting $20 million out of a, I think it was like a 60 or $70 million payout yeah. that they were giving him 20, 10 of which he was holding for... The big guy. The big guy. Now, we've come to find out that through other sources who have come forward and are turning states, just like you talked about these guys, turning states' evidence against householder, 
you've got former business partners of Hunter Biden, at least one of them right now, who've come out publicly and they're they're going to turn they're turning over federal evidence that, yeah, Joe Biden knew about these deals. He was involved in deciding which ones were going to go and which ones weren't. He was in the room. He met with key players, including key foreign officials from these companies, one of which was a Chinese Communist government front intelligence agency. Yeah. And that the money was being sent to Hunter and to their holding company, and then Hunter was then turning, pulling it out. He and and this, this business partner, this guy, the guy's name's Tony Bobolinsky. Google this up if you haven't heard about him yet, folks, but I'm sure most of you have already. That he basically, as the CEO of the company that they set up in order to do these business deals, because Hunter couldn't be the CEO of it, obviously, that would that would trigger... A, plus, plus, Bobby Linsky knew how, how to navigate the waters uh, of well, all the stuff that needed to be done. Well, yeah, he was he was, he was a business guy. That's exactly. what he did. That's what his, his but forte he, was. But he even said publicly that what he saw was Hunter was using, he'd get the money in from the company and then Hunter would draw it down to his own personal account. Yeah. And then turn it over to Joe. Well, Bobby Alinsky basically said after he saw some of the practices and saw some of the things that were going on, he bailed out and he's yeah. like, uh-uh. Yeah, he basically, well, he said he put safety measures in place so that Hunter couldn't just pull the money out. Right. And, but again, this is a situation where you would think you would have heard either from Joe Biden or from ancillaries to the campaign, and I don't mean mainstream media because, yes, we know they're ancillaries to the Democratic Party, but to the campaign itself basically saying that this man's word's not good, he's not credible, etc. They can't say that because what he did was he provided over 30,000 text messages back and forth between himself, Hunter Biden, Two of the other members of the partnership, yep. all discussing these things. That's what's called. This is your other piece of parlance that you need to know. We already talked about your parlance of follow the money. Yeah, and um, my brain just shut down for a second. Die. <laughs> yeah, Go paper trail. Paper trail. Paper trail. Which is yeah, that's what these texts are. When the te- when the paper trail reveals something even bigger than you thought was going on, that's called a smoking gun. Yeah, who's got the smoking gun? Well, right now it looks like Tony Bobolinsky has the smoking gun against Joe Biden, who's been basically out on the stump now for the last three weeks since this came out, lying through his teeth about it, making yeah. false claims that he knew nothing about. It. He never talked to Hunter about any of his business deals. Blah blah blah. He's got dates, times, locations, and conversations of where he was in the room talking about these deals. Think about it this way. Bob Ulinski provided the Rosetta Stone. Yes, he now, did. Now, if you don't know what the Rosetta Stone is, it was a discovery during the Napoleonic uh, explorations in Egypt. And what it was, they were having trouble. Nobody could read hieroglyphics. True. And a couple other ancient languages, they couldn't read them. Sumerian, things like uh, that. Yeah. So what they did was they discovered this stone, uh, which is a fragment. It's not a whole thing. But what it does is it provides a uh, a translation. It was probably made during the uh, the, uh, uh, the successors to Alexander the Great, the uh, Ptolemies. 
and it provides a translation from Egyptian into Greek and from a couple of other languages into Greek, which they can read. Which everybody could read. Which yeah. everybody knew ancient Greek, which could be read. And then so, they realized so, that that whole section was the same thing, so they realized, oh, yeah. this is how you read it. Once they had that, then they could read all. Okay, so the the, the laptop that that has, uh, you know, yes. stupidly been, uh, uh, for, been... For those folks who don't know what we're talking about, this is a... a gr okay, in 2015... No, this was in 2016, wasn't it? Later than that. Oh, no, no, 20, 2018. Yeah. Um, Late 2018, uh, early 2019. Yeah. Excuse me. Okay, I, I'm getting my timeline straight because there were a lot of things that were happening in 2014, 2015 with Biden while he was in office that were problems. But in late 2018, early 2019, Hunter Biden had a problem. Seems like somebody, somehow, whether he was having a party or something or whatever, had spilled something on his computers, on his desk, a laptop, and there was like a tower and something else. He took these three things into the local computer repair shop in the town in Delaware, where he lived. He turned them over and wanted to see if they could be saved. And when he turned them over, the computer company, given the fact that these, you know, this is expensive electronic equipment, yeah. they have you sign a register that you, a receipt that you have turned it over to them and they have it for this purpose. So he signed it. We know that now because the computer repair place turned over the register to the federal prosecutors, to the to the investigators. Why do we have investigators? Because of what was found on those laptops. So when he got, he figured one was shot, one could be saved when they backed up the hard drive. Well, when you're doing that stuff, you're seeing things. And I think from what I understand from hearing the conversation about this, from the computer repair guy whose name I'm I'm not even going to mention here because, frankly, he's done nothing except be a good citizen. No, all he did was uh, turn in a laptop with illegal stuff on it. He found photos of an incriminating nature involving children. I'm going to leave that right there because that's all we need to talk about. That's all we need further we need to go. He immediately contacted his father, who was a former military officer, who told him immediately to take it to the FBI. They tried. The FBI wouldn't take the stuff. They did take the stuff. Well, they eventually he did, he did, he, eventually. But initially they wouldn't they wouldn't do it. They didn't want it, they weren't interested. So he wasn't sure so a few months later, well, he'd signed this over and they contacted him, Hey, your stuff's ready. March, April, May June, July. three, four, five, multiple contacts, which he had, which he has documented. No response from Hunter Biden, who had signed these over that these were his. Here it is, no response. So the computer owner made a copy of the hard drive that had the stuff on it, then went back to the FBI, who finally now looked at him and said, "Well, no, we we can't take the stuff." And like within two weeks, he received a subpoena from the FBI to turn over all this information, all this stuff, all the, the the computer equipment. You and I talked about this before. It's beautiful, smart move. Yeah. Because that way, the FBI got it through the purposes of an investigation. Therefore, it can't be touched, and a and an attorney for Biden can't sue to get it back. Right. We well, couldn't do it anyway because under Delaware law. If you turn over something to someone like that for them to repair and you don't pick it up and you're notified and you don't pick it up, you don't pick it, 
after 90 days, you surrender it to them right. in order to pay for the cost of what they put into it to repair it. I think that's the same way here. And I think it's the same where almost anywhere. So basically, Hunter Biden had relinquished his ownership rights in these machines. That means the computer repair place owned them. They yeah. do with them what they wanted to. And what he decided to do was turn it over to the Federal Bureau of Investigation, who then opened a case, Chuck, and I, I heard you and I listen to Dan Bongino sometimes. He talked about how the fact that this actually had a case number, so they there was enough there that they actually opened a live case. Now, of course, their case has a code, you know, the FBI has code designations for their cases. And I heard Bongino explain this, that the code designation, that the, the number code that they had at the beginning of the case number was for money laundering, laundering. issues involving transnational transactions. Yep. I.e., foreign interference yeah exactly gee could it have been that they're looking at money but then the icing on the cake and of course rudy giuliani got a hold of a copy of this and so he's he's made it public because the fbi hadn't been making anything public that not only was there all this on there but there were disturbing both images videos and and messages back and forth of a nature that involves child endangerment and child abuse let's just put it that way so we got a couple of different things going on here all of which joe biden is basically trying to say is a russian disinformation campaign problem is it's not it's not no the, it, it it isn't and it's clear that it isn't if you've heard somebody say that it's it's it has quote unquote all the hallmarks of of, of a russian uh Russian involvement. Yeah. Okay. For the first question you should. Uh, what are those hallmarks? Yeah. Yeah. Can you please tell me what this? Hallmarks what what are like? the hallmarks? That's right. I want to know a hallmark. A hallmark is something that is it becomes so patently obvious when you look at it that that it's undeniable. The fact is now I've I've got a, a website up here. Uh, one of the things we've talked about regarding this is that some documents were sent uh, from one office of Fox News to another one on different coasts. Uh, with uh, uh, Tucker Carlson as the recipient. And uh, uh, they were sent by, uh, the first thing that came up, somebody said it was sent FedEx. Well, no, it was sent by UPS. And when it got from point A to point B, it got to Tucker Carlson, it had been opened and documents were missing. Big shock. Uh, I'm honestly, I, I, you know, we talked earlier about a conspiracy theory, folks. It stops being a theory when things happen conspiratorially. Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Oh, let me think. I, I seem to remember something about Fox News and bringing on certain people into the organization who used to be associated with the Obama administration. Oh, gosh, and also... Uh, uh, like uh, former speakers of the house who were rhinos. Well, yeah, but even that. But I mean, but seriously, like Donna Brazil. Donna Brazil. I, I mean, let's not kid ourselves, folks. Fox News isn't a conservative outlet anymore. No, and, and, ne- never really was. Never, I mean, it's, I mean, they got Carl Rove on there as an advisor. Let, let's let's not kid ourselves, okay? And you're right, Paul Ryan. But even so, Fox News isn't as, in a, as immune to this whole liberal uh infiltration of the media that we're seeing almost everywhere else on the planet right now 
who are all in the bag for the Democrats and Joe Biden and hate Donald Trump with a passion. There are a lot of the folks inside Fox News who don't like Trump, like Shep Smith and well, Donna Brazil and Shep, a number of others. Shep's gone. He's over at yeah. Uh, that's right. He that's right. They got rid of him. Didn't he's they? he's the lowest ranked uh, cable show. Uh, uh, yeah, cable television show over him. at uh, MSNBC, I think. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, okay, here's a headline on the on the daily. Uh, well, this is uh, postmillennial.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is UPS admits to losing damning Hunter Biden documents. Now, listen to this update. UPS revealed Thursday that they have located the missing documents intended for Carlson after quote unquote an extensive search. After an ex- after an ex- quote after an extensive search, we have found the contents of the package and are arranging for its return. UPS will always focus first on our customers and will never stop working to solve issues and make things right. A spokesperson said, "No, no, 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 no. What happened was too much of a stink got raised, yeah. and it was determined that there were copies made of all the documents before they went out, which is something, folks. If you have damning documents, keep a copy." And yes. keep it in a place that nobody knows. Thank you. Uh, keep it in a secret place. Give it to a friend and tell them to put it someplace that you don't know where it is. They better be a close friend. Yes. Um, nonetheless, all of a sudden, these documents show up. No, they didn't. <laughs> they were. It was known where they were all along. They were going to destroy them. And the heat, uh, there's uh, Everett Dirksen, when we feel the heat, we see the light. It doesn't just work in politics. Sometimes it works in business. And the fact is, UPS was about to get a gigantic black eye. Gigantic. Oh, yeah. And be counted in amongst a, 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 a cabal. Essentially, right, absolutely, and they 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 are running, not walking away. Uh, UPS has come forward. Uh, the documents were en route from New York to Los Angeles via overnight delivery, but never got there. They had been removed from the, uh, they had been removed from the package. Carlson had not chosen to name the courier service in question at the time. No, that's that is a is a card that you keep in your vest pocket. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's one you play when it's necessary, not right up front. Um, you know, uh, UPS is basically now. Listen, I've had UPS lose some of my documents, and very often, what what has happened is they've destroyed them by accident. I don't think this was destroyed by accident. Uh, I've had packages that uh, uh, they'll send you fake. Oh, uh, Still, uh, we've had to notify the, you know, uh, we couldn't put give it to the addressee. And you come to find out, they drop it off, and it, it's had a, uh, a fork from a fork truck stuck through it. And the box is destroyed, and some of the contents are damaged. Well, they don't want to deal with that. But that's not what happened in this case. I almost guarantee it. Somebody, somebody on the inside knew what was happening and intercepted that package. Wanted to make sure it didn't get... To Tucker Carlson at Fox News. Absolutely not. So, um, in any case, he's getting his documents. Now, what what will they do with it? Well, I've also, in the same place, I've got a breaking story that says, DOJ source FBI dropped Biden laptop investigation. Why? Because they didn't think that the, the uh, uh, 
the repairman's story would stand up in court. So what they're basically saying is we think he he uh, loaded up the computer with all this stuff. That okay, that's impossible. Because some schmuck who repairs computers in in um, Delaware or someplace, right? Probably in Dover, uh, wouldn't have a clue about who to name. Uh, how to fake the memos, how to fake the emails, how to fake all that stuff. He'd know how to do it. He wouldn't know who to put on it. Well, that's true. He'd have to ha- have intimate knowledge ah, of the workings yes. of the of the uh, uh, Biden companies and their holdings and their partners and all that stuff. Yep. He'd have to. That's absurd. They didn't think a jury would believe it. And I'm like, come on. Come on. This is the FBI once again. And, and we've, we're, uh, we're getting close to running out of time. And uh, a lot of people may not know this. Um, Donald Trump signed a, an executive order removing the protections of upper-level um, department employees from the uh, um, civil service protections. Right. Exactly. In other words, you watch. If he wins in November, if he wins this coming Tuesday. Heads will roll, and I'll just about guarantee some of the first that'll go will be uh, FBI Director Ray, who has been instrumental in running interference for these guys who were conspiring against him. That's right. And also the uh, Defense Secretary, who has basically undermined him at every turn, will be fired. I, I wouldn't doubt it a bit. So, But again, he'll have the option to do that, Chuck, because... I'm going to just make a guess here. From what I've been seeing out in the hinterlands, this actually is Trump's election to lose, regardless of what the polls say. Well, I'm laughing because I look at the Newark Advocate and it says, new poll shows Joe Biden ahead by five in Ohio. Well, maybe in Columbus. Uh, no, in Granville. In Granville, in for Granville. sure. For it, Granville, it, for sure. In Granville, uh, yeah. If, you want, if you're a Trump supporter and you want to get disheartened, drive through Granville. But then, if actually, you want, I'm not that disheartened because yeah. I saw a number of huge Trump banners that well, are popping there, up everywhere. There are a lot of them in Granville too. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of a rarity. Uh, people are starting to come out of the woodwork a little bit on that. Um, but uh, um, that that's it, it, these kinds of of polling are laughable. The fact is that uh, um, realistic polls are basically saying at least a toss up and probably more like. Trump way ahead. So the real proof will be in the putting out. What will happen on Tuesday and in the days after? I, I, I did see something that basically said uh, Breitbart report had that the Supreme Court rejects GOP appeal, allows Democrats to extend North Carolina vote by mail deadline. Uh, that should never be allowed. The Supreme Court right. voted five to three. Now, it was an eight decision. Um, if North Carolina is smart, now that there's a ninth member of the court, they'll repetition because that could easily have ended up being a four-four. Um, now somebody might say, "Well, no, it's still it's still it'd still be a five-four. Nah, not so sure. Uh, there's a lot of uh, speculation about what uh, Amy Coney Barrett come coming on the court will do to the way the court operates, and it has to do with who really the senior judge on the bench is. Uh, yes, John Roberts has the chief justice job, but who's the longest serving um, justice? 
Right now on that bench, it would be Clarence Thomas. Bingo. He's the, he is the senior associate. Yes, he is. And here's what happens. If John Roberts keeps uh, being involved on the wrong side, guess who gets to write all the opinions? You got it. It'll be uh, Clarence Thomas. Clarence Thomas, senior justice. Yeah. So things, things that has a tendency to change things because John Roberts basically runs scared from uh, what he's really scared of is the Washington Post editorial board. Oh, absolutely. There's now, no doubt about uh, you know, he won't get invited to parties and stuff. Well, you know, we'll throw him a party. Yeah. Uh, going away party. Yes. <laughs> uh, that being the case, we're out of time. Yep. Figured we were. You know what we think? We want to know what you think. www.principledpolicy.com. That's principledpolicy.com. And please join us again next week for another Principles and Policies.